Thank you, Michael. Good morning, everyone. Um, this is the uh, third of our um, talks on thankfulness. The first was the source of thankfulness that Matt Alder brought to us. The second, Mike brought to us last week on anxiety and thankfulness. And this morning is emotional thankfulness. Uh, there's a uh, sermon outline combined with a activity sheet um, for those who find it helpful to follow along with that, um, please make use of it. I thought we needed a, uh, a backdrop. So use your imagination. When I was 12, oh. yes, it's a long while ago. <laughs> I, I was very excited to be invited to go sailing. My school friend Arthur had been given a boat and I helped him rig it and we launched into a gentle breeze. Neither of us knew the first thing about sailing. The gentle breeze turned into a blow, a really strong blow. We capsized. One swim in your clothes is okay. And then swimming back to the boat, righting the boat, clambering back on board the boat, it all takes the energy out of you. And it's very demoralising when straight away you're knocked back over again and you have to go <laughs> through the whole process again. Uh, I should mention too that as a 12-year-old, I was a, a somewhat scrawny, not very strong 12-year-old. But that's probably enough backdrop. Um, we're talking about the Psalms. And what do we know about the Psalms? We know that they're songs. They're the, the songbook of the Old Testament, the songbook of the Bible. And as songs, we know that they're poems. And with poems, we know that uh, you have to work at poems. You have to reread them, oh, sorry, read them, reread them, reread them, reread them, to try and get to the meaning and to try and get the feelings that come out of, out of those psalms. And so that's where you pick up the emotions. In fact, it's been said that uh, the psalms are the emotional centre of the Bible. Another thing that's been said about the Psalms by the, the dude from way back named Athanasius is that uh, God's, uh, the scriptures are God's word to us. The Psalms are God's word for us to pray back to God. At this stage, let me pray. Father, you know things about me I would never want exposed and how unworthy I am to stand before your people. But I ask that even through me you will provide what I alone cannot give. We remember how you multiplied the, the fish and the loaves and in a totally inadequate offering but turn them into nourishing feasts. Now, Lord Jesus, do likewise 
and multiply what I have prepared for the benefit of all here and online. May it feed those who hunger for you. For those who don't yet realise their hunger, may it tantalise them and awaken, awaken their hunger. Father, may your spirit use the little I have to, to do great things in us for your glory. Amen. So we're looking at Psalm 30, which is headed, A Psalm of David. And we're not surprised to hear that it's a Psalm of David because we know that David was a musician and we know that he wrote songs and we know that lots of the Psalms are written by him. Then it says, A Song at the Dedication of the Temple, at least in the ESV. That presents a contextual problem. And that's because David wasn't alive when the, when the temple was finally built by his son Solomon. And so that would have been when it was dedicated. But we, one way of understanding that little contextual difficulty is that Bible Gateway, one of the apps online that you can use, has 43 different translations of the English Bible. 16 of those translate this heading as a song at the dedication of the house. So it may have been when David's house was finished. Um, we'll come back to that, that little contextual problem in a while. Let's go straight to the introduction uh, of in the first three verses where it says I will extol you O Lord in other words I will praise you highly for you have drawn me up you've pulled me up out of the mud and have not let my foes rejoice over me he's avoided shame I should mention that we're picking up the emotions and uh, if, the, if there's anybody following the emojis on, on the back you might want to refer to those um, so he's avoided shame because his foes haven't got the opportunity to rejoice over him O oh Lord my God I cried to you for help and you've healed me you've made me well O oh Lord you've brought up my soul from Sheol you've brought me up from the place of the dead you restored me to life from, those, from among those who go down to the pit same thing, go down to the place of the dead. The Lord has re-energised him, reinvigorated him, restored his life. Well, going back to our backdrop, when you, uh, when you get knocked down several times and have to swim back and get back on board, we actually got exhausted. And there was nobody around. And we were, we're 12-year-olds. We're desperate. I remember praying at that time, God help us. And it wasn't just a quiet God help us. It was loud. Well, what brought David to this point where he's praying like that? 
we know David's life pretty well because it's all recorded for us in, in Samuel and Chronicles. We know that he was a shepherd and he fought off bears and lions. We know that he fought Goliath. We know that he fought the Philistines. We know that he eluded King Saul's spears when King Saul lost his mind. We know that David took another man's wife. We know that he, uh, during his fight with King Saul, or during the time when King Saul was chasing him, we know that he had to deal with Doeg, who was a malicious person towards him. We know that after he'd taken uh, Bathsheba as his wife, that their child died and he had to face the loss of a child. We know that he faced uh, civil war under Absalom, his son, who rebelled. And we know that he counted his army. And I get to that one and I think it doesn't sort of have the same impact as the others. Until you read 1 Chronicles 21, and there you see a little bit about why um, there might have been a problem. And you have, you have David saying to his commanders, Go number Israel, from Beersheba to Dan. But his chief commander, Joab, says to him, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are, are they not, my Lord, all your servants? Why on earth would you want me to do this? But David prevails and he goes, uh, they go and count. And they come back and they tell him the number. But God was displeased with this thing and he struck Israel. And he tells David, I'm not happy. And he says, and David realises that he's been foolish. He's been conceited. He's wanted to show how big a man he is, how great he is by counting his troops. And God says, I'm going to punish you, but you can have a choice of the punishments. You can have three years of drought, three months of fighting with your enemies, or three days of a plague that I send on you. And David responds, uh, I am in great distress. I'm in big trouble. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw. And he said to the angel who was working destruction, It's enough, now stay your hand. And the angel of the, land of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David actually 
chooses that site to build an altar. But we can see from that just how significant an event it was in David's life. Perhaps, perhaps he was sick even at that time. Perhaps the plague had got to him and he's starting to show the first symptoms. I can think of situations that are similar for me, not where 70,000 people have died, but where I've done things that have been selfish, full of self-confidence, full of conceit, and those things that I've done have hurt other people and caused them grief. And I hope that's not true for you, but I think it probably will be. But reflecting on that, you can see why David would be so excited to be restored. On the other hand, Jesus is quite different from this. Because when it says... Oh Lord, you've brought me up from up my soul from Sheol. You've brought me up from the place of the dead. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the place of the dead. We know that David got to write this, but he eventually died. Whereas we know that for Jesus, he remains alive permanently. David goes on in verses 6 and 7 and he explains the problem, what it was that distressed him. He says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I'll never be moved. Everything's sweet. That's the problem. He's full of, full of himself. And then he recognises By your favour, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You put it in place for me. It wasn't what I had done, it was what you had done. You hid your face, everything fell apart. I was dismayed. So you can feel him go from being cocky to the anguish of knowing what's happened and what, what has the harm that he's responsible for. What does David do about it? He knows exactly what to do about it. He prays. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. And then he, he argues with God. And this is a good model for us, not that particularly, we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. What, what profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? When I'm turned to dust, will I praise you? Will it, will it tell of your faithfulness? So he gives that argument and then he says, Hear, O Lord, and be merciful. 
O Lord, be my helper. He recognises how helpless he is. Like Arthur and me on that boat. And that only God can help him. His theology is a little bit um, strange to our eyes though. Because we know that Jesus has... Um, has come and has lived and continues to live whereas David wasn't fully appraised of all of that and we see a very different response uh, coming up in verses 8 to 10 we see him yes he's gone through that so how does how does Jesus face the same situation or of an impending death of a call with um, with dying in John chapter 12 and verse 27 he's realising that his death is very close and he says now is my soul troubled not surprisingly and what shall I say father save me from this hour but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So we see the difference in the theology between the two. David comes next to his testimony in verses 11 and 12. He's praising God now because he says, You have turned for me my mourning, my weeping, my grieving into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth. You've taken off my funeral clothes and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. When it says that my glory may sing apparently that the, the words used there for my glory can also be translated soul and in other places in the Bible they're tra translated soul and it's in the sense of your whole beating so just like Mrs McNally was just saying to her of, of worshipping with all your body that's what it's saying that that I might use every fibre of my being to praise you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So David is overflowing with joy. Now some psalms are, for, are written for an individual and some psalms are written for the congregation this one does both and you'll see that in the verses that I skipped over verses 4 to 5 because there he says sing praises to the to to the lord o you his saints you his people and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, 
and his favour is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for a than a night, it may visit for the night, but joy comes with the morning. It's an exciting, exciting thing. But I wondered when I was preparing this why these verses weren't the last verses. And as I was thinking about that, I realised that David isn't silly. He recognises that what he's experienced is also what other people go through. And so right at, the, right at those verses, he invites the congregation to join him. Now, we went through many situations that it might, might apply to, uh, that might have led to David um, writing this psalm. But we haven't been fighting bears and lions. We haven't been fighting with Goliath. What are the things that are troubling us? There's anxiety. Um, for one thing, but I also was reading the Herald as I do every week and the last one for 2023 had this article, Progress Has Peaked, Now What? Um, and Nick Bryant opens with, if one were to pen a grand theory on the state of the world as 2023 draws to a welcome close, Perhaps it would be entitled The End of Progress. The notion that things can only get better has looked ever more shaky on the, as the 21st century has gone on. And he spends the rest of the article, bar the last paragraph or so, giving you evidence after evidence after evidence to support his view. It's a miserable read. He tries at the very end, in those last couple of paragraphs, to cheer you up and give you some hope. He's not very convinced, and nor is he very convincing. So what about us? What other things are going on for our congregation? We know in our congregation that there's people with anxiety. We know that there's um, people who are looking for a partner. We know that there's people who are, have ongoing illness. We know that there's people who are looking to have a child. We know that there's people who are, um, have experienced bullying at school. We know that there are people who are struggling to survive in business. We're all going through the process of um, trying to manage climate change, of responding or having to respond to the consequences of, of the wars overseas, or maybe even being more directly impacted by those. And I hazard the guess to say that we're all guilty of stupid mistakes that cost other people harm. 
Then we come back to verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And if you look at the flow of the psalm, what Michael mentioned to you at the start of when he read it, look at what God does. In verse 1, you have drawn me up. You haven't let my foes rejoice. You have healed me. You have brought up my soul from shield. You restored me. And, and down in 11, you have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have loosed. Look at all that God has done. God lifts us up. But for our community, where is their hope? It's like Nick Bryant had. It's miserable. They don't have a solid hope. So David invites us, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Jesus' disciples had their watery challenges as well. Um, Matthew, Mark and Luke all record after a hard day's teaching, they go out in a boat. And Jesus falls asleep in the boat. He got into the boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're filling with water. We're going to drown. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And the rapidity with which that happened, you get the sense, was more scary than the winds and the waves that they had to fight. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Here they are, they're awestruck by what's just happened, but they're still questioning. So where are you? Are you questioning or are you clothed with gladness? If you're questioning, then can you reflect on what changed these men, five of whom were experienced sailors and seamen and fishermen. So they should have been able to weather that storm. And they're questioning after it. But once the resurrection happens, they're no longer questioning. 
they're willing to suffer. They're willing to be beaten, to be imprisoned, to be put to death. Nothing can stop them from speaking out. They cannot but speak. So think on that if you're questioning. And if you're clothed with gladness, then you'll agree that my Lord, my Governor, is Jesus. And I'm going to thank him always. Well, we've been away the last week at summer school and the MC at that would close the session with the Lord God has spoken it is wise to listen pause and reflect can I ask you to pause and reflect for a few minutes on what God has said to you today and how you will express your thankfulness today, this week, this year. And then can I ask you to belt out our praise for the for we're going to sing the desert song. And so whether you're in the desert, whether you're full of anxiety, whether you're tired of people not getting you, or in dealing with your own selfishness, my own selfishness, or even if you're in a season of overflowing joy, can you build out the song? Amen.